Praise the Lord. I want to preach a message this morning entitled, Run for Your Life. Run for Your Life. It's not intended for you to take the wrong way, and I think by the time we get to the end of it, you'll understand that. But uh, oftentimes we refer to individuals who try to avoid dealing with some of their major problems in life. Uh, we will say that they're running from their problems. Uh, I'm not going to be talking about any of that today. That is really not uh, my intent. That's not the connotation I want to put to this. But in the Bible, in the NIV at least, the word running for your life or run for your life, that phrase run for your life or run for your lives is mentioned four times. I'm not going to deal with all of those. I'm just going to briefly mention some of them. In 1 Samuel 18, and you don't need to turn there. We're going to turn to some other scriptures a little bit later on. But it tells the story of after the defeat of, of you know, the battle of David and Goliath and David defeating Goliath, then everybody's, you know, marching through the city and they're shouting David's praises. Saul uh, was angry. And, of course, Saul had promised that his daughter would be married to the man who killed Goliath. Ended up to be David. And Saul was so angry. Uh, on this occasion, Saul was coming after David and his new wife, Michal, said to, her, said to him, Run for your life. Prophet Jeremiah, we find in the book of Jeremiah, uses the phrase, run for your lives, three times. Each time Jeremiah was telling a group of people that the way they would avoid judgment is to run for their lives. The first time that he mentions this and uses this phrase almost seems to be sarcastic since the avoidance within the book of Jeremiah, the avoidance of judgment was impossible. That God was going to judge them. He was still calling them to repent, but he said, you're going to have to pay for your sins and this is going to happen. But then the next time Jeremiah uses these phrases, he is actually talking to the people after they have been exiled into Babylon. They've been carried away. Prophet Jeremiah is writing to them and telling them that they should run for their lives and get out of the way so God can carry out his divine judgment on the Babylonian empire. We know that a remnant of the people actually came back and by the time uh, his people were not swept away when the Persian army came in and wiped out the Babylonians and then took over and it was the Persian empire and they would finally release the people back to, uh, back to their homeland again. God preserved them. But the Bible tells us that we need to run. In fact, the negative connotation we often, you, we often give the term of people running from their problems is not really focused on in Scripture. We have used that. Of course, we know there is one book in the Bible that deals with the consequences of running from God, and that is Jonah. That is not the intent of this message today either. But the idea of running is a normal focus of Scripture. It is a normal part of our lives. Now, when I was growing up, quite honestly, running was not my love. I did not love to run. It was a means to an end. When I was, now, of course, somewhere, I don't know how Jamie got it, but she has a love for running. 
Riley loves to run to, but I can remember Jamie when she was little, and we lived right across the street from a park. As soon as we would get across the street, she was just, just by the time she could walk, it was, let's run. And as soon as we got across the street and hit the property of the park, would say, turn around and say, you can't catch me, and take off running. And of course, you know, I, I could catch her, but I tried not to. And of course, now I can't catch her, but still loves to run. They both do. Somehow they got it. I didn't love to run. I knew that in order for me to play some of the sports that I had to play, I had to run. When I got into basketball, our coaches made us understand, if you're going to go out there and you're going to run for 60 minutes, you better be in shape. And we understood we're going to have to get into the condition that our bodies would allow us to run. Running is important. And in fact, the Bible is going to point out for us a number of places in Scripture where running is vital to your life as a believer. The first place we want to go, and you're not, we're not going to deal with too many specific, any really specific verses of Scripture here, but Genesis chapter 19, the Bible reveals to us that we have to run from certain things. There are things in life that we must run from. The Bible lets us know this, that we need to run from devastating destruction. We have to run from devastating destruction. Let me just start reading at verse 1. The Bible says the two angels arrived at Sodom in the evening and Lot was sitting in the gateway, gateway of the city. When he saw them, he got up to meet them and bowed down with his face to the ground. My lords, he said, please turn aside to your servant's house. You can wash your feet and spend the night and then go on your way early in the morning. No, they answered, we will spend the night in the square. But he insisted so strongly that they go with him, uh, that, uh, that they did go with him and entered his house. Let me go down a little bit further on. And the Bible says this. It says... Um, Let me move down. Let me just go to verse. Sorry, we're going to move down into the chapter a little bit further. The Bible says this in verse 16 or verse 15. He says, with the coming of dawn, the angels urged Lot, saying, hurry, take your wife and your daughters who are here, or you will be swept away when the city is punished. When he hesitated, the men, the men grasped his hand and the hands of his wife and two daughters and led them safely out of the city, and the Lord was merciful to them. As soon as they had brought them out, one of them said, Flee for your lives. Run for your lives. Don't look back and don't stop anywhere in the plain. Flee to the mountains or you will be swept away. I'm going to stop reading right there. In that passage, we don't, there's so much more that's going on there, but God had determined the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah had to be punished. They had to be wiped away. And, And the Lord honored the prayer of Abraham. When Abraham prayed, God, if there are 10 in the city, there, you know, he goes down a lot, starting at, at 50 or 40, and he goes down, finally ends up at 10. He says, God says, I'll spare the city. There weren't 10 righteous people in the city, but there was Lot and his family. And the Bible says, 
in that moment that God sent those angels into the city. I don't, God didn't need to send the angels into the city to destroy the city. He could have done that outside of that. But the angels went there for one purpose, deliverance. To tell Lot to run from destruction. Brothers and sisters, there are very religious and well-meaning people that are productive citizens in our society that can't bring themselves to believe that God would ever do anything to bring judgment and destruction. And yet we read about it in Scripture that God will judge the earth, that God will judge people. And we have to warn and have to be ready and willing. You might be here today and say, you know what, man, that's, that's for you. That's for the old people. Maybe some younger people are saying to themselves, I'm not interested right now. I'm interested in going and having fun. But be careful about what avenue and path of fun you decide that you're going to walk down because it might just be that that avenue will lead to a place of destruction. The Bible says that there is a way that seems right to a man, but in the end there is death. I want you to know, brothers and sisters, the thing that we must run from is we must run from devastating destruction. We also have to run from dangerous desires. Paul writes these words, 1 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 18. 1 Corinthians 6 and verse 18. We have to run from dangerous desires. He says this, flee sexual immorality. All other sins a man commits are outside his body, but he who sins sexually sins against his own body. There is no other way to cut this than what Paul said. Paul says there is a very dangerous thing that when you give into your flesh, you give into your own desires, it will bring about dangerous results. Then Paul told Timothy essentially this. He said this in 2 Timothy 2 and verse 22. He says, flee the evil desires of youth and pursue. I used to think that the Bible, you know, when I was growing up, I grew up in a pastor's home. It was all just, you know, don't do this and don't do that and don't do this. And sometimes we begin to think, you know, it's just a big book of don'ts. And a lot of people in the world use that as an excuse to avoid, you know, avoid Christianity altogether. Avoid going to church, avoid the Bible, avoid all of those things. And yet Paul writes and says, here's what you have to do. You've got to flee the evil desires of youth. Well, that is some of the don'ts. Stay away from some of those things that are dangerous. But then he says, here's what I want you to do. It's this. And pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace, along with those who call on the Lord out of a pure heart. Folks, there are more do's in the book than there are don'ts. A lot of times we focus on the don'ts because the bottom line is, is that man is selfish and wants to please himself. Please his own sinful nature. And the world does it every day. They go out, they do whatever they want to do. They live however they want to live. They're pleasing themselves. But in the end, they wonder why it is they're so completely empty and how it is they can't seem to get into Monday morning and say, man, you know, I can't even remember what I did this weekend. Well, God wants you to be of sound mind and sound body. He wants you to have all of those things. But it comes from pursuing righteousness, going after Him. But you still must run from those dangerous 
desires of youth. We also have to run from debilitating deception. There is something weakening about the world and what it has to offer. And I think this is why Paul's instruction to the Corinthians and to Timothy was to run from the things that would weaken and deceive them into thinking that they have victory while pursuing the wrong things. It's almost impossible to have victory in your life while going after sin, going after those things that please self. It's, it's, it's virtually impossible to have victory in your life while holding on to things that feed your flesh. Paul actually wrote to the Corinthians on another, in another part of that same book in 1 Corinthians 10 and verse 14. He says, therefore, dear friends, flee, run from idolatry. Flee from idolatry. 1 Corinthians 10, 14, run from it. Get rid of it. Idolatry was appealing to many in those times because, it, because, uh, because idolatry appealed to the basest sense of, of the flesh and physical nature. If you worshipped one of the many gods of that day, including the emperor, you were all in all kinds of pleasurable experiences. You could do whatever you wanted to do. And Paul says... The problem is, is that it's going to bring about destruction, not just of your body. It will bring a destruction of your soul. Brothers and sisters, run from idolatry. Run from those things that appeal to the flesh and say, Lord, let your spirit dwell in me that I might be able to overcome the things of the flesh and have a victory in my life. I want you to know, brothers and sisters, victory is sure for you if you will depend on him and trust in him. Paul told Timothy to run from different things, run from uh, all kinds of things. In 1 Timothy chapter 6 and verse 11, he says, but you man of God, flee from all this. All the stuff he had been talking about before, flee from that. But then again, he admonishes him and encourages him and says, pursue righteousness, godliness, pursue faith, Pursue love, pursue endurance, pursue gentleness, pursue all of those things. Here are the things you have to go after. You have to pursue all of those things. Now, let me get to this next thing. When you run for your life, you not only run from some things, you also run to certain things. We have to run. Turn over into Proverbs 10. In verse 18, we have to run to his powerful presence. It is scriptural for you to run, but run to his powerful presence. Proverbs 10 and verse 18 says this. The name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous run to it and are saved. The name of the Lord is a strong tower. Sorry, I think I gave you the wrong scripture. I think it's 1810, not 1018. The name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous run to it and our are safe. Brothers and sisters, the thing that we must remember is this, that we have a refuge we have somebody that we can run to, somebody that we can hope in, somebody that we can believe in, and somebody who is bigger than us. 
There is no, you know, you, you look in, in life, you see it all the time. You see a small child next to their parents, and maybe they're seeing a stranger, or maybe they're talking to somebody, the parents are talking to somebody that the child doesn't know very well, and the child instantly does something to, to create a sense of safety. They bury their face right in their legs. They just kind of put their face, they're, they're maybe shy or whatever. This is somebody they don't know. And so they don't know quite how to respond to this individual. And maybe the person even tries to engage them while you're there and talk to them. And they instantly come running to you. You are their refuge. You are their strength. It's the same way with God. Brothers and sisters, we have to run to Him. When the enemy breathes at us and says, I'm going to take you out. I want you to, you don't have to sit there and give a, give a big long speech to the devil. Run to the presence of the Lord and say, God, here's what the enemy is telling me. Here's what he's trying to convince me of. But Lord, you're a strong tower. You're a refuge. And in you, I can stand my ground against whatever the devil brings against me. Listen to what the Bible also says in Hosea chapter 6 and verse 2. Hosea 6 and verse 2. After two days, he will revive us. On the third day, he will restore us that we may live in his presence. I want you to know that God has his heart set on communing with you and being with you. But we have to run to his presence. We have to go to him and say, Lord, I want to spend time with you and be in your presence so that your presence can come and change my heart, change my mind. You know, sometimes God's not really interested in changing your situation. He is interested in changing you. He's changing your heart, changing your mind, changing the way that you think, changing the way that you respond to some of those things. It's an interesting thing. All through the Old Testament, you find that God allowed Israel, he allowed individuals, some of the patriarchs, to go through times of testing and very difficult things that he didn't extract them from. He taught them how to respond to. And David is one of those individuals that God used in such a mighty way, and yet David made a lot of mistakes, but it was how David responded to those mistakes. He didn't get bitter. He didn't get angry toward God, but instead he learned how to run to God. When he he completely messed about in his kingdom and he just totally was wrong and, and did all kinds of things that were wrong, instead of fighting against it and defending himself, you know what he did? He, he wrote Psalm 51, which was his prayer of repentance. It was his way of saying, God, I'm wrong. Let me learn how, from your presence. Let me run to your presence and be changed by you. We have to run to his precious provision. We read a little bit of Genesis 19. We're not going to turn back there. Let me just relate the story. That when Lot got outside the city, the angel of the Lord said to Lot, said, I want you to flee to a particular place, these mountains. And Lot said, no, it's going to be too great. The distance is too far for us to travel. He says, there is a small city, a little place called Zoar. He said, let us run to that place. Now, this city was close enough 
that it probably could have seen what took place and would know what took place in Sodom and Gomorrah, but it was far enough away that they would be preserved and they would be kept by the power of God. And the angel said, go ahead, flee to that place. Now, that city, that word, that name, Zoar, means quite literally little or insignificant. Little or insignificant. He said, let us run to this little, small, insignificant place. He had lived in in a bustling city before that time. But he said, let's run to this little, insignificant place. And this is out there for us. I want you to know, God provided for him a place to go. And he provided something that nobody really wanted to go to. Zoar was not the place that everybody wanted to be at, but it was little, it was insignificant. It's the same way with the provision of running to God. Some people call him a crutch, but, but brothers and sisters, when you, are, when you are lame, when you're limping a little bit, every now and then you have to get a crutch to get your strength and regain your strength. Listen, when you run to him, the world says that's silly, it's stupid, it's crazy for you to run to the presence of the Lord. For, you, for them, it's little and insignificant, but for you, he is still a strong tower, a place of refuge that you can run to. You've got to run to his presence and it is a precious provision for you and the final thing I want you to see is this when you run for your life you have to run with certain things run with certain things what are those things well the first one is this the right attitude the right attitude Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 1 says this Hebrews 12 and verse 1. It says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles, and let us run with perseverance the race that is marked out for us. Now, what does the right attitude involve? according to this scripture. It involves basically three things. One, being free of encumbrances. The writer says, lay aside all the, the everything that hinders. King James says, weights. And the sin that so easily entangles. You know what that sin is in your life that so easily entangles. You know that thing that tempts you so easily and quickly. And what he is saying is, if you want to run the race that God has set out for you, you have to put that stuff to the side. You have to lay it down. You have to get rid of it. Well, how do I do that? Well, by asking for forgiveness, for one, and not hanging on to it. But you have to lay it aside. He said it's so easily entangled, so be aware of it and know what's going to happen. Get rid of those things. Be free of all the weights. The weights are those things, those encumbrances, those things that kind of pull you back. They may not necessarily be sin, but they may not be what's best for you. So lay it aside. There is another way, and it's perseverance. Perseverance in the face of a demanding course. The right attitude says... I am going to keep going. I don't feel good. I don't feel right. It, it hurts. 
to keep running this race, but I am going to persevere. I'm going to keep going. It's a demanding course. It's something that is difficult from time to time, but I refuse to back down. Brothers and sisters, we need Christians today who will persevere and go for what God has called them to go for, that we will not back down when the enemy says, boo, and he says he's going to take us out, that we will not be afraid, but we will persevere in the midst of our lives and, and our Christian lives and what God has called us to do. We have to persevere. And there is also one other thing. The right attitude involves adhering to the rules of the course marked out for you by someone else. Say that again. It is adhering to the rules of the course marked out for you by someone else. You can't choose your own course. You can't choose it. And somehow make it easier for yourself, for your life, and have it to be more demanding on others. Like we all want a life of ease, but we want other people to do the work. You know, let somebody else do that. But for me, I'm going to take a path of least resistance. It doesn't work that way. You will have resistance as you move forward in, in God and as you, you want to live for him. You can't choose your own course. This is a course that has been marked out for us by God and, and with the right attitude. I want you to know we will win. Say, God, I'm going to stick to the course. I'm going to stay on what you have called me to do. I am going to run the race with perseverance, I will stick to it. And it's a course that has been set out and marked out by you. I will do it. A couple of weeks ago, both the girls ran in a race over at Niles West High School. And there was a specific course through which they had to go. Now, it would have been great if they had started out the, finish, or started out the starting line and said, I'm going to take a shortcut to the finish line and come in first. Had they done that, they would have been disqualified. You have to stay on the course that God has set out for you. Don't think there are no shortcuts in the kingdom of God. It might be difficult. It might be hard. You might have to run through, through some things that are hard for you to handle. But I want you to know that you will win if you have the right attitude. You also need the right accompaniment. And with this, I'm going to close. We have to run with the word of the Lord. You don't need to turn there, but let me read to you the book of, uh, from the book of Habakkuk in the Old Testament, chapter 2 and verse 2. Then the Lord replied, write down the revelation, the revelation I'm giving to you, make it plain on tablets so that a herald may run with it. So that a herald may run with it. What should be our constant accessory in this race in our lives? None other than the Word of God. None other than this book. Picking it up and reading it, taking it to heart, memorizing it, internalizing it, getting it into your heart, and running with it in your life. It's no different today. God has made His Word plain to us. The same way He made it plain to Habakkuk, He said, Put it down, make it plain on tablets so everybody can read it and see it and know it and know what it says and, and have a herald run with it. In other words, spread the news. Get it out there. Don't, don't hold it in. Don't have it be the only, it's just in my heart. No, but get it out there 
It's no different for us. God has made the word plain to us, and now it's our responsibility to run with the word of God and not only apply it to our own lives, but live it in front of others. We are living in a time, brothers and sisters, where it's going to require a life, not just a profession. It's not going to require a testimony. It's going to require the testimony of a life. I know that a lot of times we, we go about life thinking, you know, my Christianity is just, it's something I do on Sunday. And if it is, then I wonder how much of God we really have. How much of the Lord do we really have? But it has to be that we live a life. As the writer said, on one occasion, that we would be living epistles, living letters, known and read by all men. I'm not really interested in how well you can testify about your faith in here. Bottom line, this is easy. It's easy in here. We have worship. We have beautiful worship today. Everybody just entered in. There was just such a wonderful spirit of worship. What matters most, folks, is out there. What matters most is outside these doors. What it is that we're living. Are we running the way that God wants us to run? And I'm here to encourage you to run. Run. Run from all those things that don't look like Jesus, but run to Him. And run with the right attitude so that God can use you for all of the things that He has in store for you. Don't think that for a moment God doesn't want you to be a part of what he's doing anymore. That somehow he has left you aside. No, he's encouraging all the runners. You're tired? Keep running. You feel like you're weak? Keep running. Keep going. Keep moving forward. Don't back down and don't back away, but keep moving forward. Say, oh, it hurts. I've got a side stitch, you know. I can't, I can't do it anymore, but keep going. Keep going. You might slow down just a little bit, but keep moving forward and keep going in His presence and God will help you to be somebody who honors Him in the world that we live in. Can we stand to our feet this morning?